0: Welcome to Teachings in the Air. Welcome to Teachings in the Air podcast with Jerry Oldman. Coming to you from Hunkamienum territory with a podcast series about Indigenous men's health and wellness. We aim to inspire, motivate, and empower Indigenous men to be sound in mind, body, and spirit because that's what health means. Manitoba. I'd just like to thank all of the original people from Manitoba that were here since the beginning. And uh, I heard their acknowledgment in the treaty lands and I, and I cannot remember which ones they were so I used my language and in my language means original they original peoples. So I thank them because I'm, I know that they're, they're beautiful people. And I say that wherever I go in regards to the ukhlmiyukh, the original people in the Americas. Because regardless of what happened, we refused to become terrorists. That's why I acknowledge people as beautiful people, the indigenous peoples of this land that they're beautiful. Because there's no doubt, and when we look at history, and what happened, that there has been harm. And the resilience and the beauty that's reflected from the peoples amidst all of their suffering is proof to me that they're beautiful people. And I also thank you for answering the call to do the work that you do. In my mind, it's like the kikia and my people, and that means a mother. The mother is was was always the first teacher, the educator. And the word educate means to lead, to lead people, individuals to knowledge of how to be on this planet and how to be with the people, how to be with Mother Earth. So I'd just like to start off and I invite you to take a deep breath, let it go, take one more and this time when you let go of your breath, say to yourself, I'm letting my family go for today and my friends where I'm from so I can be here. Take a deep breath, let it go. So, I'd just like to start my presentation with a, a prayer song. And it's a song of thanksgiving. And the first thanksgiving is to Tamiuch, which is a holder of all the gifts, which is Mother Earth. The one that nourishes us and keeps us alive day to day. The oxygen that comes off the green plants from this planet the medicines that come from the ground, and the food. And my people always started their day by thanking Mother Earth, the Tamiu, for keeping them alive. And the second part of the song is to give thanksgiving to Inchnooknukwa. Those are all our friends and relatives that have assisted us to arrive to where we are today. And especially the ones that carried us when we were little babies because they kept us alive because we could have perished from starvation or from dehydration or the elements so we must constantly in our culture our way of life give thanksgiving to the ones cuz kat in my language means hand in shnuknuka the ones that reached their hands out to us and carried us literally when we started this experience as human beings. So when you hear the word, to in the first part of the song, I'd invite you to to go and visit a place that's healing for you on the planet Earth, a place that's special for you, that brings you joy and brings you contentment and rejuvenates you. I'm sure you have a place like that or have been to a place like that. So give thanksgiving for that today and that be there in the future. And when you hear me say in Shnuknukwa, you think about your friends and relatives, and you thank someone today that was there when you needed them, either in times of suffering and pain or celebration, be thankful to them.
1: (Sings) I la 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 i la 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 I love you I
0: Thank you for bearing with me with my pagan practice. <laughs> I do it a lot of it for myself, you know, to set myself. I'm just so grateful for the Canadian nurses to call me here today. And I think, you know, of all the people you could have called in this country, that you call Jerry. And I know that my late grandmother and my late parents would be proud of me for being called here to be with you today. And I'd just like to thank you for answering the call do the work that you do. You know, the nursing, like the president was saying, you know, is a, it's such an honorable profession. It's a profession of compassion. Because compassion means that you're a willing participant with others that are suffering. That you've signed up for this work of nursing. And now that you've stepped into the field of leading others that are coming behind you to do the same job. You know, when I was asked to do this, and I'd seen the title of the conference about the heart. Because the heart is about people, you know, when you see people make the heart sign, they're saying love. And love is a commitment. The first time that our, uh, we were put into our mother's arms and after we were born, usually that mother is making a commitment to that child. I shall care for you. I shall nourish you. I shall have affection for you. And that commitment, when it's consistent, then all those warm, fuzzy feelings come to be between people. So the heart of inclusiveness, which means that we're welcoming everyone. That heart is about commitment and sincerity, that we're sincere in our work. And, and I looked at that title of your conference. I say, that's, that's beautiful. This, these are wonderful words. Like fairness, for instance. Justice actually means absolute fairness for all. It it doesn't matter your ethnicity, your beliefs, your religion, or your sexual orientation, or your social status. Are you wealthy? Are you poor? Are you in the middle? It doesn't matter. We're going to give you the same service when I was reading the title of your conference about the heart of inclusiveness, you know, and fairness and, you know, ethnicity. I say, and that's beautiful, because I, I started, of course, because I'm indigenous. Over the years, I've asked myself, what happened? What happened between Canadians and indigenous people in this country, where I did not feel inclusive? I did not feel welcome, that I grew up feeling insignificant in this beautiful land, this beautiful country called Canada. Of course, when I did not understand and know the why, I was filled with resentment, fear, anger, and depression because of the treatment I had experienced at the hands of professionals in this beautiful country. At the residential school, in my educational experience, was was, uh, there were brief instances in there that were very traumatic for Jerry. In grade one, at the age of six, in my first week, was the first time I experienced physical violence on my body. You know, I was um, (laughs) doing arithmetic. and I remember, I can vividly remember, the pencils we used were these big round pencils that were red. And um, the erasers were square, looked like a marshmallow, and they were light brown. I remember those, and I remember my paper, and all the red axis on my paper. And I was being slapped across my face and ears for the first time in my life. You know, and and this message of stupidity, that I was a stupid Indian, rang in my ears for many years until I achieved healing. And that was at the hands of an educator, someone that had a job of leading me to knowledge. So I, I, as I prepared for this keynote, I've been asked to do keynotes now, and um, I believe part of it is because I'm a storyteller and I refuse to use PowerPoints. You know, <laughs> I come to you here to speak to you from my heart. And, um, and I want to let you know I did, I, I'm not here today to create fog, which is fear, obligation, or guilt, from you. I don't want to, to have you feel like that. Because remember, I said, what happened between Canadians and Indigenous people? Well, over the years now, I've, I've come to the conclusion is that all of us, in a sense, were duped. That we were tricked. That the ones that come from Europe were told that we're pagan, savage heathens by the colonizers. And the colonizers were very few in number. They were appointees of the royals in Europe. And the settlers, you know, that they called over to settle this great land. Come from a place I know because I went to Europe and I I've been researching and writing a book, and I went to Europe to see how it was to research how was it in the 1400s and the 1500s and the 1600s you know until today in Europe, and I found out that in Plymouth, England that those people—I went into this heritage house made out of stone, and it was a five-room house. And it said on the brochure, the information on this heritage house, that in England it was not uncommon for 50, up to 55 people to live in one of these dwellings. It was then I realized that people were coming to Canada because they wanted a better life, and I could not hold it against them, because that's a valid reason. I immigrated from B.C. to Manitoba. You know, I'm a migrant from B.C. because my beautiful wife got a job at Assiniboine Community College. (laughs) The power of women, right? And uh, (laughs) so, you know, so if we look at the history, because I know in your experience as educators, you're going to find people that are not inclusive. You're going to find people that are prejudiced. That means they prejudge someone because they're gay, trans, or homosexual, or obese, you know, or anorexic, or East Indian, or, you know, Somalian, or someone that's different. You're going to run across those people. And you know, I started to look at our experience as Canadians and Indigenous people. I started to see then that what I told you was that the ideology of Canada was created of this inferior, superior ideology that indigenous people at the very beginning were labeled as devil worshipers because they were not Christian, that their language was the devil's language. That their instruments like this were the devil's tools. And that the government, colonial governments, and the governments that followed them started to outlaw our ways of potlatch and sweat lodge our spiritual practices, which had a profound impact on us as indigenous peoples. But I believe what happened way back then, you know, it's not that long ago where I'm from. It was 1501, I think, when, or 1601, when Simon Fraser came to my territory. You know, and within 50 years, all of a sudden, there's 10,000 gold seekers in my area looking for gold. So the hunger for resources, is a driver for all of what's happened between us as Canadians and indigenous people. Land is a, is a very wonderful commodity to have. And I found out in Europe that many people did not own land, that it was upper class people that owned it. So they started coming here. And I've met immigrants that have come here, and I've met descendants of settlers that have come here. And my conclusion is that they love the land too. Because if I've done a survey here, and I'll do it really quickly, how many of you here want to uh, migrate out of Canada? Raise your right hand. Not one of you. So that's a sign that you're in a beautiful place. And I tell people today, you belong here. It took me a long time as an indigenous person to say that. Because I, I come from a place called Seton Lake Indian Band. It's a reservation, and the word reservation means lands reserved for Indians. And it took us a long time to get good drinking water in my reserve. You know, Reserves are reservations are .05 percent of the land mass of Canada. <laughs> That's pretty tiny, and as a, because of that, we became poverty stricken, because we had no resources. So you know, in my life, I've have I've been resentful and hateful to Europeans. And a uh, It was destroying me, literally, my mind, my body, my spirit. You know, when you talk about health, that's what the word health means, to be healthy, to be sound in mind, body and spirit. When I see that in the dictionary, I was going, whoa, that's a beautiful word. Because it included spirit. And spirit is not about religion. It's actually about what's holding our body together right now, that spirit. When that spirit leaves our body, our bodies will fall apart and go back into the universe. So to have a sound spirit, to have an incredible will to live, to succeed and to be kind, those are the indicators of a sound spirit when you have compassion for other human beings. That's being healthy. Our mind, of course, is that we are clear-minded, and we're not confused, and we can be taught, and we can develop skills at a high level. In our body, you know, usually we're disease-free, but there's been so many miracles in medicine. You know, I, my brother is type two diabetic. My, my grandson is type one, and they're still here, and if they follow, you know, the teachings from medicine—they're still—they're going to be here for a while. I've had relatives that die from um, diabetic complications that refused to change their diet to to change. They lost their will to live. Because remember that when you have a good spirit, you have this incredible will to live. It doesn't matter that it's negative 50 in Manitoba. In the wintertime I still want to live because my spirit is good. Or that there's clouds of mosquitoes in the summertime. Because <laughs> <You know? laughs> my spirit is good because I've gone through healing. So when you look at the experience of Canadians in Canada, how why is there this world view? Why is there this othering of indigenous people? I've heard them all, lazy Indian, drunken Indian, crazy Indian, stupid Indian. You know, I've heard them all and with other adjectives added to the word, you know, I've heard them in the air in Canada. I come to see that that worldview was created by men, that worldview of indigenous people, and that many Canadians learned that right from childhood, that there's something wrong with those people without even knowing them. I still get asked by professionals, I went to um, a skin specialist in Vancouver five years ago. And she asked me, this doctor, "Um, how much do you drink? And I told her, (laughs) doctor, I haven't drank since 1976. So she keeps exploring around my scalp because it's in my scalp. And she says, tell me, how much? How much do you drink a day? I said, Doctor, I told you I don't drink. See, she had a worldview and othered me as an indigenous person, a highly trained professional, othered me, prejudged me. I, after that experience, I asked myself, how did she get there? And that's what I'm telling you today, that it was manufactured, that she heard that as a child, probably. And people that she loved probably maybe spoke like that, and created her worldview. In indigenous ways of creating worldview and our traditional parenting methods, my late grandmother, Shuteet, was a midwife. And she was teaching me about developing world view, but she didn't use the word world view. She was talking about creating this beautiful human being that's part of us. She says, son, as soon as we know the babies inside the mom, we start talking to that baby. And it's all positive messages. They wouldn't let the mother go, the pregnant mother, go to funerals or anything where there may, might be negativity. So the baby was being layered with beauty every day, told how special they are, how nice it is, how we can hardly wait till you come to the world. We're going to show you the world, all of these positive messages. And um, that started to create a world view of inclusiveness, of fairness. I know that works. And I do believe prevention is the best medicine. That's why I was happy to come and speak to you today. Because you can prevent discrimination, you know, othering. You can, you're helping create a whole cadre of professionals that have a heart. And that's beautiful to me. Hey, my, one of my dreams is my grandchildren and great-grandchildren are going to grow up and not feel any fear about going to a doctor. Or talking to a nurse, or a dentist, or a teacher in this country. So you can see, this is a two-sided street. It's two ways, just like the saying, "It takes two to tango." So as Indigenous people, we too must um, speak up. When my elder said, "You know what, Jerry? Every time somebody steps on you." If you don't make noise, they're going to keep stepping on you. So we too must make noise and say, you know what, I don't accept that. I will not accept that from you. Because if we don't make noise, people are going to keep stepping on us. We must understand that we have rights. And Canadians, I feel and it's happening now because I'm here today with you, You start to understand the other side of indigeneity. Ten years after an addictions program in my community, there was 75% sobriety. Seventy-five percent. I think that's a pretty good stat, you know. It was easy for us because we never had alcohol in our culture before Europeans come here. But it's caused so much damage, this socially acceptable substance called alcohol. It's just raised havoc in my communities. So I understand when, you prejudi- when you're prejudiced or you prejudge us, because a lot of you, that's what you see, and Maybe that's what you've seen. You haven't seen the potlatch. You haven't seen the ceremonies where they're helping individuals. Probably going on right now in some indigenous community. We tend to look to see what's right in front of us. Like if everybody, go like this with your hand. You know, what do you see? You see your hand. You don't see anything until you take your hand away. You know. So we're going to change this narrative. That those people. They're human beings. Doesn't matter their sexual orientation, their ethnicity, their spiritual beliefs, or where they live in town. As caregivers and healers, we're going to help them. As professionals, that's what we're going to do. That's what I believe, that we're on that road now. Before I come onto this road of working with Canadians, I was filled with hate and rage and fear and depression because of the actions of uh, very few Canadians, I lumped you all in and I was prejudiced. I prejudged you too. I was angry at you, even though I don't know you. I blamed you, even though I don't know your heart. This by the skin color and the color of your eyes. I done that too. So you can see it's a two way street here that human beings, being human, they'll fall into that trap. So we must rise above that. And take everybody we see as brand new. We don't know, we don't have the slightest idea what they've been through and how they survived or how they recovered and what have they to offer. We don't know until we ask. There's three types of awareness that human beings go through. The first one is everything that happens inside our skin. You're the only one that knows what's going on inside of your body right now. and We we need to listen to our body because our body never lies. If you have tension and you can't go to sleep and you're restless at night, your body's not letting you go to sleep because there's something you need to take care of. We must listen to our body. It took me a long time to learn that. My wife, she first met me and we first started going together. She says, who's your doctor? I don't have a doctor. Who's your dentist? I don't have a dentist. You know, I did not have a, I guess you could say a thing. But today I have doctor, dentist, massage therapist, you know all of those things because to take care of my body. Because part of my, one of my goals is to reach uh, the age of a hundred. Because my great grandfather was 105 when he passed. But I, I beat the hell out of my body for 14 years with alcohol and drugs, so I think it might have maybe shaved off five years, I'm not sure. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but I want to see, I want to make it, you know, I want to do that, so I take care of my body. But it took me a long time, and I had to heal first. And the principal part of healing, when there's issues between people, and the word issue means a disagreement, is to forgive. I I quit drinking after 14 years of drinking and drugging, I stopped, and that was the first step in healing. The second step was to address the the serious things that happened to me that caused post-trauma reoccurring nightmares, you know, flashbacks, all of those things, from sexual assault as a little boy I was sexually assaulted at a residential school. So I stopped drinking, I started doing ceremonies, sweat lodge, cold water bathing, everything that I could. I'd ask elders, what did we do, what did we do, and they'd tell me, and I would do it so that helped maintain my sobriety, but I was still thinking unhealthy, I still filled with hate. And one of my elders says, Jerry, looking at me with those piercing eyes, you know, <laughs> but they're kind. And he says, you know, if you really want to heal, you're going to have to forgive. i was saying, no, 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 why should I forgive? I didn't do anything wrong. Why should I forgive those, those men? I didn't ask for it. I didn't want it, definitely. Why should I forgive them? Because I was thinking, I was uh, in a Roman Catholic residential school and the teachings, I thought that was meant to turn the other cheek to forgive. Okay, hit me on the other side. That was my childlike understanding of that Christian ideology. I don't think that's true, but that's what, that was my translation. So I looked up the word forgive in a dictionary and it means to let go. It's an action. It's a verb. And it's just like lights went off in my head. Oh, yeah, OK. I can let go. So I set out letting go of these two men, but they wouldn't go away. It's just like I was carrying them. I was getting tired, tired. The chronic fatigue was setting in and they were in my head because I realized I must let them go. And I seen a healer. I took our teenagers to his five-day workshop on healing yourself with your own energy. And I went there and after five days, you know, while I just chased the teenagers into the big tent where they're having a workshop and I go in the van and I'd sleep because I was tired, (laughs) you know. And at the end of the five days, the healer was walking towards her vehicle. And I was standing there with two of my friends, my guy friends. And I said to her just out of the blue, can you take a look at me? You know, like if I, you're all nurses. If I sat with you, I'd be asking you about some of my conditions. You know, hey, I know I'm feeling this. Can you, can you give me some advice? You know, sort of like that, right? And uh, so I said, and she rolled her eyes like this. And I said, oh my gosh, she's tired. She's been working with teenagers for five days. I mean, I got to give her a break. But she was setting herself. She's. There, and she looks at me. And she says, your energy is shooting out of the top of your head. You must be tired. (laughs) I'm exhausted, I told her. I'm just more tired every day, seems like it. And she says, well, your energy is just shooting up like this from your head. Your energy is supposed to surround you like an egg all around you. She's looking at me and she says, you were sexually abused as a boy. And being a guy and two guy friends with me, I was going deny it. Ah, oh, no, no, you're wrong. That never happened. That's what I was going to say. And she's looking at me and she goes like, it's not by one man, but by two men. And my, my mind is <laughs> in this great big, I don't know how to, explain it. But I was saying, I cannot lie to this woman. She has a gift. So the first time in my life I disclosed sexual abuse. And I said, yes, I was uh, abused at Kamloops Indian Residential School. She looks at me and she says, you know, those two men are still inside you. I go, oh, like a cold feeling in my stomach. Uh, Oh, no. And she says, you must get rid of them. She says, I want you to put up your hands. And when I say, close your eyes, when you see those men, I want you to cast them off. Throw them away. Make noise, do whatever you have. Just really, I want you to cast them off. They don't belong in you. And that in you really got to me, you know, <laughs> that term. So I put up my hands and closed my eyes. And As soon as I closed my eyes, I see these two faces. And I thrust my arms up really hard, and I scream, ah. and huge tears started rolling down my face. And I could feel a change. And she's looking at me, and she says, you've done it. Congratulations, and walks away. <laughs> no debrief or anything. you know. So I went through this wonderful no-talk therapy session. You know, and I actually, no more reoccurring nightmares after that. And I had the same nightmares for many, all my life until that moment, since an incident of sexual abuse. So forgiveness is, is a powerful, important part of healing. And when I work with Canadian institutions, I tell them, the first thing you need to do is to make statements of accountability of harm that your practitioners have done. To be able to say, here for instance, some of your nurses have been prejudiced against indigenous patients. Some of your nurses may have been prejudiced against somebody of a different ethnicity or sexual preference. To make that statement and say an hour, an hour, an hour time, there's zero tolerance to that. That's what the heart is. The heart is about being sincere. The heart of inclusiveness, of fairness, is about being ins- sincere and being compassionate. That's what it is. So. Yeah. Looking at your title of your conference, I say, oh, you're on the right track. Because I, I believe, you know, I've come to believe, and I have no research to back that up, like systemic reviews. But I tell people there's a racist spectrum disorder in Canada. It's a spectrum. You know, on the right, there are people like Trump. You know, on the left, there's people that, are compassionate and just love people. In the middle we got this big mass of people that are just ignorant. They just don't know. And it's your job as an educator to teach them, to base all of your thinking on reality. Ask them, do you really know that's true? that they, don't, they all don't care about their health. They just want drugs, or all that kind of stuff, right? Because fantasy, awareness, remember I was saying there's uh, inside awareness, outer awareness is everything we see, feel, touch, hear, taste, smell. It's outside of our body. Inside, of and then the third area of awareness is fantasy awareness, and that's our thoughts. And most of them, are untrue. We must check them out. Just like that doctor had a fantasy about Jerry that I'm an alcoholic, and I am an alcoholic, but I don't drink. I've accepted that I'm an alcoholic. When I drink, I black out and I disappear for days on end, you know? That's being an alcoholic, and I don't want to do that, so I stopped. But her awareness was saying this man must be an alcoholic, he must be a practicing. Alcoholic. So that's one of the things you could teach nurses about, the three areas of awareness. And that fantasy awareness is dangerous to other human beings. I work in anti-racism in British Columbia, and that's why I get the foundation of what's happening, and what happened with us as Canadians and Indigenous people. My conclusion is that we all come from beautiful people, that all of you, your ancestry comes from tribal and clan too, and that the industrial and agricultural revolutions have raised havoc with us and our health as human beings, and that we can change this. We can do what I can't do. In indigenous ways, we say which means we're all one. That's literally the earth, we're one with the earth, we're one with each other. And I believe that part of that philosophy prevented us from being terrorists. That we're all one. That you're here for a reason in Canada. And I must accept that reason. And, of course, I ask that you accept me, accept my children, my great-grandchildren, and I have two great-grandchildren, and I'll accept yours without question. And I feel that is the heart of inclusiveness, that on our watch, No one feels insignificant. No one feels that they don't matter. Because this topic is not just about Indigenous. I know that. I was surprised in my growing up experience how, for instance, how some Canadians were teaching Italian, treating Italian immigrants when I was 17 years old is working on the railroad as a water boy in the summertime. As soon as you how old I am, there's water boys, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but I hear these guys calling these Italians wops and swearing about them. And it puzzled me. I said, why are you doing that? They're, they're white people just like you. Because of their accent, you know. The, the garlic they ate, you know, the food they liked, they were othered, and it puzzled me. Then in that same summer, there was this Russian giant that came on. He had great big blue eyes and white skin, and he was a Russian immigrant. And they were mean to him, too. I seen it all in one summer, and there was a Jamaican there, black as black can be, and they were really mean to him, and me, too. So the Italians took me in. I was so glad. They called me Chacho. Hey, Chacho! I could still hear them. They they liked me. They respected me. I was inclusive with them. I was included. They were fair to me. So that's what your job is now, is part of it. Besides the wonderful skills of changing bandages and all those things that practical nurses do, it's also about their attitude, you know, because attitude is you're acting the way you think. So we must have them act as professionals and as compassionate people. Not just for the patients and the clients, but for themselves, too. Because I know racism is a sickness today, it's a mental health sickness. Because I was a racist, I hated white people, I hated English people, and it was getting me sick. So when I see someone that really tightens up and they see me, you know, a lot of times I wear braids and people look at me, you know, and I say, well, you, I'm going to have a good sleep night, you keep that, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to go there with you, you know. One time I'd say, Somebody call an ambulance, Why don't, him, or, him or I are going to go to the hospital today. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's not true anymore. So I imagine I must be really going maybe overtime here. I'm not. I have a timekeeper there. But um, I see that's the work that you do, your teachers. And that's, so, that's, that's wonderful. And um, my main message here was for you to is to include the spirit of your students, and remember that spirit as they have this incredible will to live and this incredible will to succeed. You know, once we we put it in our mind, we're going to succeed as a nurse. It'll overflow to succeeding as a parent, as a spouse. As a citizen, that you become successful at it. when I start when I started to go through healing, all of a sudden, I start to change how I am with people. I tell people every day you wake up as a human being, being human, you can change your mind. and i'm I'm living proof of it, and there's many many examples of it. like one day I woke up, no more drinking. I stopped drinking alcohol and I started drinking Starbucks (laughs) (laughs) when I first moved from the country to Vancouver. I go home and as people say to me, I I go home and I'd been living in Vancouver and I got Birkenstock sandals on and these shorts and a golf shirt on and dark glasses on. My niece says, geez, uncle, you look like a tourist. And then um, her dad says, Oldie, that's what they called me in residential school, so some people still call me Oldie. And they said, "Uh, I bet you're drinking that five buck coffee too in Vancouver. (laughs) Yeah, caramel macchiato is at Starbucks and stuff. (laughs) But when I went through that, the healing. I started the healing journey, and I believe many of healing is a road. It's not a destination. There's something going on in our thinking, and it's disturbing us. We need a healing. I I know because I worked since 1976 as a change agent. And I know today, when I sit down with someone and they start telling me their life story that 50% of the stress is leaving their body already when they're truthful with me. That they've been carrying things like unresolved grief and loss for many years of their life. Their parents divorced or somebody passed away that they love or even a pet and they haven't dealt with it. They need a healing. We all need healing. Because the word heal means to become pure and original again, before you were damaged. It's just like if I broke an arm. I haven't broken a bone in my body in, for 70 plus years. <laughs> you know. But if I, didn't, if I didn't get it healed, it would be crooked all the time. So I'd have to go get somebody to set it, put the cast or whatever they do today, then I'd be okay. I'd be healed. And it's the same with the mind. If you're beating yourself up and you got low self esteem, somebody done that to you, put it on you. You need healing. You know, we, we beat ourselves up far too much in this society, I believe. It's because we become individuals, not part of a group. So you're part of a group called uh, Canadian Nurses, Educators. So you put your minds together, and you put this in your heart. We're going to put our minds together to see what we can do for the children in this country. Chief Sittenville said that from the Lakota, Dakota Nations. Let's put our minds together to see what we can do for the children. And surely with this many minds together, for how many days you're going to be here, good things are going to come out of this. I believe that. I know that. We, we can always change. Like another day I woke up and I stopped smoking marijuana and doing drugs. And I stopped. Woke up another day, no more tobacco. I'm not going to smoke anymore. Because it's almost like you named the addiction, I had it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> woke up, no more gambling, you know. The tobacco, I'd smoke cigarettes, you know, and up to a pack and a half today sometimes, you know. And then I got into chewing tobacco as a logger, you know, and all of that yucky stuff, right? It was all socially acceptable. You know, loggers were expected to chew tobacco. We'd buy it, and I was working in Alaska, we'd buy it by the roll, 10 little tins in a roll. One in my shirt pocket, one in my lunch bucket, you know. I don't know if you ever tried it, but it tastes good after you get over the the blistering in your lips and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So I changed my mind. And one day, I woke up and I changed my mind. And I started doing dishes in my household. And my wife was ever happy. And I told her, let's have a fair relationship. You cook, I'll wash the dishes. You do the floor, I'll do the laundry. You know, um, there's one thing that I let go that I'm happy that I did. I said, you take care of the money. She actually asked me, can I take care of the money? Because money was falling through my fingers like water, late-paying bills and stuff like that. And she took care of the money. And since then, I've traveled all over the world. I've never had to worry about a bell, a late payment, or anything like that. So part of this, too, is about working together. Hui Natsa, remember, we're all one. That's the title of my presentation. And the language it means we're all one, Huy And how do we want to be together as one? Do we want to be healthy? It means sound in mind, body, and spirit. And if we are sound in our spirit, it means we're filled with compassion. And when you achieve that, people want to be with you. They're happy to see you. Come and eat with us. Come and play bocce or whatever, you know that's when your spirit is nice and people get turned on when they see you. I know I have achieved that because I get called all over the place, you know, because they know I'm a kind man and I want to help. That's what I want to do. That's my path. That's an elder's path in traditional Indigenous society that I'm to come here and encourage you and support you in your work. That's what I've been called here to do. In my language, they go like this. You're special people and I elevate you today. I raise you up so the world can see you because you work with people. You work with human beings, which is hard work special. So I'd like you to feel that, because the meaning of life is to find your gift and to use it to help other people. Some people, you have the gift of healing as well as teaching, because you're educators. You accepted that role. The word student and the dictionary means a consistent observer. Someone's watching, listening when the instructor is speaking. The second they're on their phone like this, they're not a student anymore. They're connecting with someone else. You know, and I see this is the sickness that's happening in the world now. iPhones and, you know, the, the phone technology and the tablets. It's so bad that they got a, they got physical ailments that come from it. They call it text neck, you know. And people are like this in the restaurant and the buses, and you know, their just their neck is down, and starts to create tension in the shoulders and the neck in their body. So physiotherapists now have treatments for people with text neck. So <laughs> So if you have that, go see the physiotherapist. <laughs> but if not, um, you prevent it by looking at your phone like this. <laughs> and don't worry if people think that you're just so full of yourself, you're taking selfies all the time. <laughs> They're just saying that elder said, if I don't do that, I'll get text neck. <laughs> I'll get headaches and sore neck and stuff like that. So so that's my message for you. And. Um, that you can change and follow the title of this conference. May it help people to be inclusive, to be fair to whoever crosses their path, to be generous with their teachings and their knowledge, to have compassion, to be a willing participant even if you have a difficult student. That your job is to make sure they're professional. That's an important job. Like I called you kikia at the beginning, which means mother. Because mothers create world views for their little boys and little girls. I know traditionally, like I mentioned, that we, we were discouraged from othering other people in my community. We had a, a man living in our community. My grandmother actually took him in when he was a little boy. And they called him Pachosh because he had a mental handicap. Just like he was always five or six years old. So by the time I come to, he was already in his 50s. And at times some of the kids would make fun of him, and the elders in the community, you don't do that. You don't do that to Pachosh. He's one of us. You don't make fun of him. So they'd stop us when they'd see it. And uh, I remember I asked my late uncle, Chenaya. I said, Chenaya, what does Pachosh mean? And I wanted to know the meaning of our words in our language. I go see him because he would seem to figure it out, <laughs> you know. And he says, hmm, how can I explain this to you, he says. He says, oh, he says, you know how in the crib, Jerry, they got these um, rail, side rails, it's like a prison in a way, he said, and the baby sticks their head through there sometimes and gets stuck, and you have to help them get their head out. It's the way it used to be, with cribs. They're probably safe now, but (laughs) in those days, you know, the kids would get their heads stuck in the crib. So he says, that's what pachosh means. You get stuck in one place. So pachosh was stuck at the age of five, you know, and we were not allowed to other him. He'd be playing with children. Got gray hair, you know. My community built him a house after my grandmother passed away. That was our attitude. That was our beliefs about people that are different. And I believe every institution can accept this model, this indigenous model of refusing to other, other people. When the sexual preference, you know, in my community, we were taught it's none of our business who that person has sex with. In the sense, they were talking about being gay. It's none of our business. And it's, you know, we don't talk about it. We just accept it. We don't try to get them to explain to us why they're that way. We just accept them as our Shinukwa, our relative. That's how, that's how we dealt with it. We accepted that people were different. One of my elders took me into a cedar forest And he says, look at those trees, Jerry, and I'm looking at them. He says, what do you see? I said, cedar trees. What about them? I said, oh, they're all cedar trees. And he says, "Um, they're all the same? I said, oh, yeah, that's a cedar forest. They're all cedar trees. And he says, no. He says, describe them to me. I said, okay, that one there is taller than all the other ones. That one over there is short and bent over. You know, so he's told me to describe the cedar trees. And of course, the quarter falls, you know, oh, okay. <laughs> We're all different. He says, that's the same way as people, he says. Some are tall, some are short, some are fat, some are thin. Or I should say overweight, you know, or <laughs> thin, you know. They're different. He says, that's the same with us as people, and we accept that. He says, I have no explanation to you why people are different. We just accept it. not Natsa, we're all one. You know? Yeah. So I'd just like to thank uh, thank you for calling me here today. education as a gift. You're passing knowledge on to students. And I thank you for doing that again. I'm sure there's Indigenous students that come to you too. Just understand that the relationship between Canadians and Indigenous to me is prefabricated to put us down as a people. Because all fights in the world are about, about two, only two reasons. Ideology, our belief systems, our resources. You know, people have died fighting over gold, fighting over oil, fighting over water, fighting over religious beliefs in this world. That's the only reasons. Just like even in our home, we'll fight over, if you only have one TV, this used to happen. We'd fight about the Canucks. I'm from Vancouver, and I'm a die-hard Canuck fan. Oh yeah, we're going to watch a Canucks. You know, It's playoff time. My wife wants to watch um, Antiques Roadshow or something, you know? <laughs> and that's a resource. And um, Being a good man, I'd say, oh no, you watch whatever you want. I'm going to go down to the casino and watch it on the big screen. <laughs> <You know? laughs> So you take care of yourselves, and know that you can change. And if you need healing, don't feel bad about it, because all human beings need healing. One of your friends or relatives will hurt your feelings. And every time you see them, you maybe get triggered. When that happens, know you need a healing. Go apologize to them, or ask them, why did you say that to me? Communication is a powerful medicine, and forgiveness and love to me are the most powerful. I traveled to Rome to forgive the Catholics for all the sexual abuse that happened in the residential schools at St. Peter's Basilica. I did a ceremony there and I covered the small area with red earth from Canada, it was made into a fine powder. I said, that is to protect people from sexual abuse. Then I covered it with eagle down feathers from British Columbia. And eagle down represents a healing. That there be healing in the air, because the eagle down floats in the air when you spread it. I said, that there be healing for all the ones that were sexually abused. And all the ones that abused, let there be healing. You know, and that's—I know because of my experiences, what I'm telling you is true. I forgave the Brits. I went to—in front of um, Buckingham Palace and done a the ceremony there. After that, British people were talking to me in London. I'd learned how come people, British people always are on the left hand side rather than the right hand side. This Englishman told me. He says, You know why we drive on the left? I says, No. He said, Well, I'll tell you. He says, In days of old, he is a wonderful storyteller. He says, The streets of London were narrow. And the knights would ride down these streets in big horses with armor on. And every night in the kingdom, and most everybody was right handed. He says, because if you're left handed, that means your, your mother slept with a devil. So that was a belief in Europe, you know, a long time ago, right? And he says, uh, so they'd force children to be right handed if they looked like they're left handed. So he says, so as a result, everyone was right handed. So the knights would ride down the street, and they'd ride on the left-hand side of the street because if they're on the right-hand side when they try to draw their big broadsword, their hand would hit the wall, and they would lose. So they'd all ride on the left-hand side so they can draw these big swords out. And so he says, until this day, we're on the left-hand side. <laughs> you know? So that's from an Englishman You know that I connected with after I forgave them let go of my resentments to them. Because they had nothing to do with the colonization, of the people there, or the English people here. So forgiveness is a powerful medicine, and I'd just like to encourage you to keep going. I see my time is up, and um, continue with the good work you're doing. And I'll thank you again for doing that work of teaching. And it's more than just about skill. It's about attitude to our professional how we treat people. Because that will make an, a difference in their healing. First time I went to the after I got a dentist, and she's still my dentist today, and I walked into her office, she shook my hand and said, Mr. Olman. It's the first time I'd been called Mr. Olman in my life. Holy cow. Inclusive. You know, this was inclusive. Still my dentist, and I paid her thousands of dollars to look after my teeth, you know, (laughs) lots of money. But, um, yeah, so you just have a a wonderful conference. I, I will be, when I have my next ceremony, I will be sending energy to you and your family. I just realized that it is all kiki out here. There's one man there other than myself. And it's um, all like you are mothers, because mothers are the first educator, you remember that. And him and I are a thorn amongst the roses. <laughs> Thank you very much. You have a wonderful time. Thank you so much,
1: Jerry. Oh Your yeah. Is always wonderful to hear.